Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. So an episode went up this morning on the Patreon feed where I took four listener questions that I grabbed uh, from the Facebook group and answered them as best I could. Um, I'm going to include one of those answers here. If you'd like to hear the other three, you can become a patron. Maybe this is the thing that will tip you over the edge into patronage. It's five bucks a month, patreon.com slash Dan There's a link in the show notes for that. And patrons get access to the Facebook group, which is patron only, two exclusive episodes per month, like this Q&A episode, and also unedited longer versions of episodes where there is significant editing for time, which recently has been more and more, uh, at least every other episode, if not two out of three. So those are some of the benefits. Uh, and I'd appreciate your support, of course, as anybody who runs a Patreon does. So here is the fourth of the four questions and my response to it. What are you learning about managing or healing your egoic strategies? I hesitate to call it arrogance, even though you call it that sometimes, without self-shaming or denial about how to actively confront personal weaknesses. This is a great question, and I myself am so great for having inspired it and for answering it. <laughs> I mean, this is a lifelong process, but I do have a few thoughts. First of all, my wife is a pretty good check on this because Jaffrey does not care that much about most of the topics I'm passionate about, nor does she drink any of the kind of would-be guru Kool-Aid uh, in my life and, and around the work that I do. Sometimes... That can be can lead to a kind of denial of my own self around her, like a self-censoring where I won't bring things up. I'm trying not to do that as much. I'm trying to just keep things short, but still tell her what's been life-giving and important for me. And that seems to be working pretty well. So I'm going to keep heading down that path. Second thought, I find the language in acceptance and commitment therapy and other modalities around values-based living to be really helpful and clarifying in this context. Am I living into my values? Do I know what they are? Am I, for instance, doing a podcast to make money, to feel cool about myself, to have fans? Do I miss having fans from the Sherwood days? 
Uh, if those are my main reasons, those do not align with my values. I mean, it's fine to make money. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and I'm grateful for that. It's helping me get through grad school, but those are not like primarily my values. Um, but curiosity, careful thinking, intellectual humility, using my skills to make cool shit, those do align with my values. So if I compare various thoughts or plans with those values, that seems like a pretty solid way forward that avoids shame, but also avoids too much egoism. Third, um, it's been helpful to recognize my own limits, especially around religion and theology and all that stuff. Um, there's a story from school. We did this exercise in class one night and it was supposed to be like a mock therapy session, but I decided with my um, classmate, like, I'm just going to be honest and like, you can just pretend to be a real therapist and I'm going to tell you about some real stuff that's going on right now rather than create a fake scenario. And she's like, cool. So I talked about what I was going on and, and she had this incredible line. She said, Dan, it sounds like you think it's your responsibility to save Christianity. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, that is kind of true. Like that, that's pretty accurate. Like, obviously, obviously, when I think about it, I can't save Christianity, a two billion person religion that is not on my shoulders. But some of the work where those of us who are theologically minded, we try and like chart this path. Well, what kind of church would work and, and what theology most understands the suffering of the world and, and really, you know, what theology best answers the problem of evil and, and how can God, how can God's purposes be like most fully and efficiently realized through like right thinking or, or whatever. It is such a fool's errand to think that we will have effects beyond our circles. Um, I think we can have effects, but we can really, I mean, I, I'll speak for myself. I can really overestimate my agency and my control um, and my responsibility to something like global Christianity. I wonder if it's because it's kind of inherent in language about God. It's so big and absolute. The concepts we're working with are so lofty. I think that it's almost like a trick of language itself, maybe that we can get into and think, oh, yeah, I'm describing the ultimate stuff of the universe. Whereas if I were like, I don't know, a pediatric surgeon working on a certain kind of broken ankle, you know, <laughs> mechanism, like I just don't think I'm describing the universe. I think that what I'm working on is like this very specific thing when children break their ankles and how do we reset them in ways that lead to, you know, the least amount of pain and, and developmental issues down the road. It's there's nothing about pediatric surgery that makes me think that I'm talking about the infinite stuff, but theology and philosophy, I think we can kind of read, we can sort of like drink up our own PR, you know, like, I don't know, we can pat ourselves on the back that we are doing God's work and therefore the infinite work. And so it's been helpful to recognize, like I've thought about what she said so many times, like, yeah, I can't 
I can't do it, nor is it my job to save Christianity. I can make good stuff where I am curious and careful and, you know, compassionate. Like that's what I can do. Three C's. Oops. Uh, I've also found in this realm that the basic ideas of Taoism helpful that like there is a way that things are going in the world. Um, you don't necessarily need to like go with the flow and just float, but you should recognize that certain attempts to redirect or dam up the stream or whatever are going to be a lot more energy consuming and a lot and not necessarily very effective than other modes. So you've got a stream. Okay. You, you kind of, you slightly move it this way and you nudge it this direction rather than trying to put up a dam and like create a valley where there used to be a riverbed. Um, related to this, I've also found like the serenity prayer and the, the language there really helpful, like thinking about what is in my control and what's not in my control. Uh, this applies to individuals like people in my extended family and friends, as well as like, I don't know, 40% of America and <laughs> some of the, uh, some of the sort of batshit stuff that it has become very normal in that segment of the population. Like I can't do anything about that. I, I, I do not have control over Matt Walsh's followers. I just don't or Alex Jones or whatever. And I don't have control over what information um, people in my life choose to consume and be defined by. I just don't. So all of that has kind of helped lower the efficacy. That's really uh, very frustrating to recognize the limits of my control and power, but it is accurate. And so it does help with the egoism. Uh, fourth, learning to be more of a scientist, like actually doing social science work. Um, and of course, learning more how to read and interpret academic journals and, and, and all this stuff has really helped me realize how little I know, uh, just the, the absolute vast ocean of, of knowledge that I will not be able to drink up in my lifetime. It makes me think of Socrates. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. It also makes me think of Operation Ivy. All I know is that I don't know nothing. Uh, fifth and finally related to that is approaching midlife. I'll be 40 next year. And that's just making me think about how little I'm going to be able to learn or figure out compared to all that I might be able to, if I had the time, inclination, skill, and if I was at the right place and right time to be able to figure it out. It doesn't matter how hard uh, Copernicus worked while he was alive. He was never going to have access to the James Webb telescope. He just wasn't. And there's nothing he could do about that. There's nothing I can do about the time and place that I live other than moving. But I can't choose to have been born into a different family or a different year or a different country. And so that stuff also helps with kind of tamping down the egoism and the narcissism. Uh, yeah. But thanks for that question. <laughs> 